Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name's Jeremy. And we're here to discuss the Uncanny X-Men number 181, the May 1984 issue on sale February 7th of 1984, with a cover price of 60 cents. This was titled Tokyo Story. cover says young dragons in love i like this cover it's cool and it features a very large dragon head being flamed by a very little lockheed they don't look like they're in love not at all (laughs) and then hanging out on the x-men logo are all of the x-men hi including professor xavier in his fancy new duds in the marvel box yeah he's leaning up against the x-men x which is cute it's a it's it's a cool design i like this Rogues chilling on the X, Rogues leaning over the dash, Nightcrawler's hanging from the M, uh, Colossus is seductively posing over the X and the M. I don't know what Wolverine is doing since half of his head is cut off and he's got really large shoulders, but he's hanging out on the E. And then there's a girl off behind the N, I'm guessing is Kitty, but she's got like red hair. I don't know who that is. Kitty's not in this issue. Yeah, so I don't I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know who that's supposed to be, but I'm just going to assume it's Kitty. It and- must be Sunfire. Yes. Post-operation Sunfire. (laughs) Yep. So let's open this thing up and uh, we get a big splash panel of a bunch of Japanese students who are pointing up in the sky. Can I I just say before we go into this? So so Secret Wars happened. How about that? Well, I mean, yeah. Spoilers. I was going to point out that on the next page, but yes. Oh, oh, I sorry. (laughs) That's that's quite all right. Let's talk about Secret Wars, Adam. So, uh, so where we left off was that the X Men plus uh, Scott Summers got into the uh, Mister Fantastic's transporting machine, and a a flash happened, some sort of bang with the two dragons. Lockheed was there, and then at the last second mystery uh dragon number two snuck in and it seemed to me that at least in the comics they were appropriately proportioned i.e the same size they were definitely the same size and i guess the uh, intimation was that like right after issue one or two or three or whatever lockheed met this dragon and they just went off into the mountains and did it the entire time the heroes and villains were fighting i guess so because lockheed doesn't come back until the very end of the issue or at the very end of the series. I guess so. It makes sense. So, yeah. So, the what event... What else would he have been doing? Uh, well, maybe they were... Uh, they were doing it. <laughs> <laughs> they were doing it Freaky Dragon style. Uh, yeah, so the, the events of this particular comic book take place immediately after that flash. And when Mr. Fantastic's like, oh, I don't know what happened, but uh, it should be fine. Next. Even though, as I've pointed out before, this issue came out shortly after Secret Wars number one. Yeah. So if you think about it, uh, well, like real time continuity, like real life, not comic book continuity, 
Claire's Claremont had to be like, Jim, what happens in issue 12? Because I got to get this next issue of X-Men out. I, I don't know. I feel like Jim was like, or uh, Heem was like, uh, yeah, whatever you want. They get back. You tell me your story points. I'll work it into my story. You know, that's very possible. I mean, he probably had a rough plot outline of what he wanted Secret Wars to do. But as the regular series continued, he probably read him and was like, Oh, okay. Well, I'll work that into Secret Wars. He probably was like, hey, Chris, there's got to be some shakeup. We need a little bit of shakeup in the titles caused by Secret Wars. And Chris was like, yeah, maybe something with Colossus and Kitty. I don't know. Or or maybe the professor could use a new costume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. A uh, bunch, of, bunch of Japanese kids pointing up in the sky and they're saying, look. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's... Not Superman. No, it's a dragon. And it's a huge dragon. That is a big dragon. It's a two-page spread dragon, but only like the top two-thirds of each page. So and these kids are maybe six or seven years old, and, and they're not... They're maybe half the size of the dragon's eyeballs. Oh, yeah. This dragon is ginormous. Uh, and this is when we get the actual opening credits, and we've got a little bit of a shakeup in the creative staff. A Stanley mm-hmm. presentation, Chris Claremont writing, John Romita Jr. and Dan Green are artists. Tom Morzakowski lettering, Glennis Ween is colorist, Luis Jones is the editor, and Heem Shuter taking a break from his uh, Secret Wars job to editor-in-chief. Well, as we discussed... He probably doesn't read X-Men. Well, judging judging from his lack of characterization with the X-Men, he's probably never read this. Yeah, he's like, just put my name on that, all right? <laughs> Don't kill Phoenix, but uh, <laughs> I'm not going to pay attention to anything else. Exactly. And this is... Uh, um, Rather, you got to kill Phoenix. <laughs> opposites. It's opposites day. Right. <laughs> so what's the shakeup here? I thought this is the same creative talent as uh, last issue. Is it? Now you I got so. Now you got me double checking. Uh, no, it's it's exactly the same. Well, Bob Wiasek is no longer among the uh, the artist. What did, what did he do? He was the inker. It just says uh, Dan Green, John Romita, and Bob Wiasek were the artists. Oh, so maybe there was like a transitional inker. Could be. Bob was like Dan. This is how you ink. <laughs> you get the next issue. You know, it's it's been so long since I've read an X Men comic book. I was like, this has got to be a shakeup in the creative staff, Adam. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I was taking a look at, at our webpage and looking through like all of the issues, and we've been doing a, a fair job getting content out uh, on a regular basis, but we have only read one Uncanny X-Men title since December 22nd, <laughs> <laughs> and it is February 23rd. One. So it'll be interesting at the end of this year, maybe one of the things that I... Uh... Uh, gather as far as stats go or how many issues of the uncanny x-men did we actually read right we read a crap ton of comics but only like nine x-men comics (laughs) (laughs) i feel like it's gonna get a little bit better and then it's gonna get a little bit worse i sure hope so because i miss these x-men cats (laughs) well anyways these these japanese kids they're looking up in their handy dandy monster guidebooks trying to figure out who is it is it gojira space cruiser space cruiser yamada Astro Boy, Red Ronin, Hulk? Now remember, Gojira is a Marvel Universe character. Oh, yeah. We know that from the issue of Defenders that we read. Right. Yeah. I'm surprised like uh, like Rodan and uh, the rest of them aren't mentioned in here. Or, or Gamera. You're familiar with Gamera, right? Of course. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> You're not yanking my chain, are you? I like uh, Hulk being, being in this little book. Well, sure. He's a monster. 
big monster. But then they go on to say that the X-Men are in this book too, but we'll get to that in oh, a second. Okay. So uh, it kind of looks like out from underneath the tail of the dragon pop the X-Men. They're falling. I can see people underneath. They popped out of nowhere just like the dragon did. They look like they've been in a terrible fight. Was it with the dragon? Oh, I recognize them. They're in our book. They're the X-Men. Now, <laughs> Monsters. <laughs> Adam, maybe they have two books. Book oh. of Book of Monsters, Book of heroes they do have two books and they're both flipping through them but it looks like they're the same book (laughs) well yes but you don't see the other book that's in their knapsack okay (laughs) it's it's the superhero book (laughs) (laughs) sure and so as they go to check out the x-men they notice a mighty wind they turn around and they see that the giant dragon is flying away that can't be good for japan Uh, you know japan's used to this sort of thing (laughs) So they're all kind of like, well, where are we? They thought they were going to go to Central Park, but they're not. Storm's pretty happy that at least they're on Earth. Um, One of the Japanese students offers the professor some tea in a Spider-Man thermos. We um we do we do see once they all stand up that the professor is in his swanky new duds. Like yeah, uh, as is Storm. Rogue's outfit does not look the same to me as it did but i could be wrong about that i've I've meant to go back and look and just never got around to it i don't think it is so this is like an orange and black deal that she'll have for just a little while then it'll change again but i i want to say that in um secret wars it was it was green and black it was definitely green and black and i think it it had like a white trim line on it Hmm. so this is a this is a costume change for rogue that uh jim didn't he's no i'm not that doesn't happen in secret wars it can be explained by the flash yeah a lot of things change for example cyclops is missing oh yeah and somebody points that out at some point well i'm pointing it out rogue says uh uh nightcrawler uh it's wolverine who points out that it's like duh we're in (laughs) japan can't get away from this place it's it's true, and and now I'm so glad Wolverine's back. Oh my god, this is like this is the real Wolverine. He's no longer like shut up, fuzzers. <laughs> We're gonna kill bad guys. Nope. Good old Uncle Wolverine is back. <laughs> Can't seem to stay out of this flaming country, even when I want to. We're south of Tokyo, about twenty clicks inland. Oi, what happened? <laughs> oh, uh, and that's when Aurora points out what what went wrong and what happened to Cyclops. Why is he no longer with us? Oh, and a little dialogue box here says to learn where our heroes have been and what happened to them. Read Secret Wars on sale now. So you just <laughs> in picked eleven up, months. <laughs> you just picked up this issue of X Men, and you're like, "What? Wait, why? Who? Last issue? What?" And then you get this, and you're like, "Oh man, trying to make me spend my money." Although to be fair, I went years and years reading X Men without ever reading Secret Wars. It's pretty fl- uh, f- uh, a flawless, uh, fluid between last issue and this issue. They go into a thing and they pop out of another thing. Done. <laughs> That's true. And all you need is a couple of word balloons to be like, "Man, the Beyonder was weird." Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a very good point. Um. So, anyways, yeah, they uh. The Japanese kids are like, hey, there's a giant dragon that flew over there. Did you uh, did you know that? Dragon? Or dragon? What dragon? And that's when the professor points out the obvious, the creature that became involved with Lockheed while we were off Earth, but they were the same size. Not anymore, Charlie. You Klutzer. Colossus wants to know what they should do. And that's when the Japanese are people like, oh, our favorite heroes. Look at Storm. Her hair's different. She's different. I like it. Blah, 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 blah. At least get autographs. So the X-Men are huge in Japan. Apparently. 
Well, it makes sense. They've been to Japan a couple times. Yeah, yeah. They saved something. They saved, uh, yeah, yeah. They saved one of the islands once. Yeah, I forgot about that. Sunfire was there because they were in Japan. Yeah, and so the professor reads their mind, as he does, and finds out that the X-Men have been gone for over a week. So that's how long Secret Wars took. Um, they're too far away from home, and there's little chance of contacting Kitty Pride telepathically, so uh, they're on their own. Aurora points out that when they left Earth, uh, Kitty had just flown to the Massachusetts Academy with Douglas Ramsey, and she was depending on the X-Men to back her up in case of in trouble. So the professor sends Rogue off to... Uh, I think back to the mansion. Yeah, to fly back to the mansion. And it says the rest of the X-Men will follow as soon as they deal with the dragon. So Rogue is going to fly halfway around the world. And Rogue does, you know, she turns to Storm and she says, Storm, you're the boss. You want I should go? Much as I would love to, Rogue, my place is with the team. I don't understand what she's saying there. The dragon is here because of us. We are responsible for it. We have no choice but to ensure it does no harm. Um, well... The professor gave an order and Rogue is saying, well, I'm going to ask the real leader of the X-Men. No, no, I get that. But Storm's answer doesn't make any sense. She says, much as I would love to, Rogue, my place is with the team. But nobody asked Storm to fly back to the mansion. They asked Rogue to fly back to the mansion. Well, let, let me put the uh, the enunciation on another word in that sentence. So, okay. Storm, you're the boss. You want I should go? Much as I would love to, Rogue, my place is with the team. See what I did there? No. Oh, well. (laughs) Nobody asked Storm to go anywhere. Well, she's not saying that anybody did, but she's saying that she's just pointing out that she would love to be the one to go back, even though no one suggested that. Oh, okay. Yeah, it just seems, I don't know, it just seems like a very weirdly crafted sentence. But you're right, it's off topic, it's, 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 it's not the point. The point is, is that there's a little power struggle going on between the Professor and Storm. Make certain Cyclops and the New Mutants are, are all right as well. And then the Professor thinks to himself, I shouldn't have spoke as I did. The others are confused and angry, they don't know who's in charge. It doesn't help that I was such a jerk in Secret Wars. <laughs> Even though nobody knows that yet because it hasn't been written. But yeah, I was a jerk. Such a jerk I was. I threatened to mind wipe Storm. <laughs> uh, but he he has been sitting for so long that why shouldn't he be the leader? Or at least take part. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's part of the team. He's an X-Man. He founded the X-Men for, for God's sakes. This is when Wolverine, of course, uh, being actually Wolverine and not a character, is like, I hope Charlie knows what he's doing. Conflict of command is never good. I had my fill of it when Aurora first took over and Psych kept horning in, meaning well and doing well, but always undercutting Storm's authority and confidence. So Wolverine's not happy with this little power scenario that's going on. Plus, I, he, ne- I he, never realized how well Chris Claremont writes Wolverine until Secret Wars. It's <laughs> <laughs> because it's a, it's a slow change, right, from character Wolverine at the very beginning. Yeah, but he's such a strong character. I mean, his he, you know his dialogue is comic booky and silly, like everybody's is. But it's very specific. Nobody else could say that. Right. I'm just saying you didn't you didn't realize you missed it because it it came up on you so gradually that you just became accustomed to it. And uh. then when you saw it in the Secret Wars, you're like, oh, that's right. <laughs> he was the Futzer Berserker guy. And then yeah, you read this, right. you read this, and you're like, oh yeah, 
there's my Wolverine. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, he's, he's internal monologuing, thanking, or, you know, kind of praising Storm that, you know, she's done everything she can do, do tore out her soul, and Charlie's pulling ranks. Um, yeah, that's wrong, bub, and so are you. He wonders if, uh, when Storm took over the X-Men, if, if that's when she, she started getting tough inside, and she wonder is, if it's because she was trying to be better than Cyclops, which is interesting. It, I mean, it's a man's world, certainly in 1980-something, whatever it is. And she's African, uh, so she's got, like, everything going against her. Trying to be better in psych at the job. He did better than anyone. That's high praise from Wolverine. Yeah, it's, it's the best. He's he's the best at what he does. And what yeah. he does is praise people. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, at the war room at the National Command Center, Japanese Combined Self-Defense Forces... The clang a lang a lang a lang a lang a lang alarm goes off. Clang a lang Spotters report a giant dragon saw heading for Tokyo is what I imagine that sounds like. Oh boy. All right. I'll never do that again. You say that every time. Every time. Okay, I'll only do it once and then I'm done with it. The guy in the back is you know what? We make fun of everybody else. So we might as well we might as well use our horrible horrible Japanese accents. The Japanese don't get a pass. Uh, no, it's it's pretty blatant. <laughs> I don't know if I could do a, a whole episode that way. Uh, so somebody in the background's like, "It's the off season for monsters. It can't be another monster." Monster Island reports all their creatures present and accounted for. So Monster Island, of course, is where Rodan, Gamera. No, not Gamera. He's a different universe. Who are all the monsters? Who's the- yeah, it's it's Godzilla. Yeah. Gojira. Yep. And um, Rodan, who I've said multiple times. Then who's the three-headed uh, monster? Um. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not <laughs> it's not coming to me. Three-header. Tiamat. No. Tiamat. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I like it. I'm sticking with it. Yes. Anyways, yeah. So the monsters are all accounted for on, on Monster Island. You know, King Kong was in one of the Godzilla movies. Yeah. Yeah. He sure was. So I don't know if he's on Monster Island. Have you watched, you know, as long as we're on the topic of Godzilla, and I probably talked about this the last time we talked about Godzilla, but have you watched any of the 2000 uh, Godzilla movies? Yeah, we definitely did talk about okay. this. Well, My then, answer was no, but you said they were really good and I should. I mean, you have to take them with a Godzilla grain of salt, but right, right, right. they're they're mwah, delicious. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we'll see. They're like they're like chopsaki films or like, you know, kung fu martial arts stuff. Yes. Uh, especially like the Bruce Lee ones. They're you know, there's not they're not great, but they're fun to watch. Exactly. So we'll skip that conversation. Anyways, the airplanes and tanks take off to uh fight this new dragon monster. Another sighting general. It's the American supergroup, the X Men. I sound a little bit more American Indian than Japan. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm trying to do like a master splinter voice. It's, oh. it's just not working out very well. Uh, in in the background is uh, Mariko Yashida. Oh, we know her. I've heard of her before. The X-Men. Wolverine should be with them. I'm doing a storm voice. <laughs> she thinks to herself. Shiro, perhaps you may be of use. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to do that yeah. again either. <laughs> is uh, your concern for your homeland, Mariko, or for your Gejin lover? It's not your it's not your place to question my will, merely obey. But she never tells him to do anything because the next time we see her she's still there. 
so she's passive aggressive. So so basically she's like, can you do something for me? And he's like, are you sure what, what you want me to do this for? And she's like, shut up, but you don't have to do it. <laughs> shut up and do as I say. Well, what did you say? <laughs> Next. So meanwhile, in downtown Japan, the dragon is crunching up buildings. Crunch. Yeah. Literally. Crash goes sides of the buildings that he doesn't quite crunch up. People are running. And that's when Storm, who I don't think we've seen her do this before, is whipping all of the X-Men in her uh, wind trail behind her, essentially making them right. all fly. She's never done this. She did it in Secret Wars, though. I think I pointed it out. So you got Storm at the head. You got Colossus, who's got to weigh a lot. Wolverine has got to weigh a lot. And then the Professor's up there in Nightcrawler heading up the end. Yeah, she's never been able to do this before. But, you know, now she's Tough Storm. She's Mohawk Storm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I We'll see how this whole her flying people thing pans out. But it just doesn't seem very plausible. <laughs> Everybody's wondering why the dragon is doing this. It seems so friendly when it was little. Why is it so big? Could it be the size change in this alien environment is so disorienting that the poor creature's been driven mad? So their first priority is to save the civilians. So they land, and uh, Colossus grabs a girder and bats away some debris. Storm uses her wind powers to funnel some debris away. Nightcrawler teleports people. The professor orders Wolverine to save people. Wolverine says, okay. Colossus thinks to himself, I am glad of all the, of some action. It would take my mind off the love and happiness I have lost forever. Again, read Secret Wars. <laughs> so even issue one, you're reading it and you're like, well, what happened? Colossus doesn't even do anything in issue one. <laughs> so, yeah. Storm is asking the professor to forge a Psylink with the dragon uh, to see if he can communicate with it. Professor tries, but uh, I don't think he's not able to to completely do it. And the dragon misinterprets it as a, an attack. So the dragon topples some building towards the professor. Yeah, he senses that the dragon is completely what what the dragon is doing makes sense to her, and uh, so he tries to probe deeper, and that freaks the dragon out. So she starts throwing stuff at him. And just before the debris hits the professor, a shoom noise is heard, and that's when Sunfire appears, who has just blasted away some debris. I am disappointed in you, Xavier San. Have you so soon forgotten the forgotten uh, forgotten the protector of this most ancient land? See, I got some um, variants in my Japanese accents. The... That, that was that was a little thicker. Yeah. Sunfire, says the professor. And that's when a whole bunch of debris that I guess Sunfire missed falls on the professor. Thunder. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he gets pummeled. So the airplanes are flying at the dragon. They're shooting it. The tanks line up on a bridge, and they're shooting the dragon. And everyone's like, oh, man. Is this our first boige moi or boige moi? Actually, I, I need to look that up. Colossus, in what we think for the first time, says... Boige moi. Which means... My goodness. My goodness. Oh my God! I my guess. God, God the, bless you. Goodness gracious! I guess the 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 closest translation is my goodness. Okay. Uh, or 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 they also have the uh, oh dear me, mm -hmm. uh, man alive, <laughs> oh my, and crikey. Crikey! What's Russian for crikey? Bozhi moi. <laughs> and heavens. Heavens to Betsy. Yeah, and so the um. 
Wolverine is like uh, he, he's he's a, he's able to deduce that these military men know what they're doing. They're the best there at what they do. Wait a minute. Lots of practice. <laughs> Lockheed wouldn't like them shooting at his lady love. Nightcrawler finally chimes in to say, "What's what's to worry, Elf? They're not doing her any damage." And we get a famous Chris Claremont interlude. Um, Madeline Pryor is sitting on the steps. Of the, a small cottage, the Beachcomber Hotel in Tahiti, and she's wearing uh, a, presumably a swimsuit and a shirt over the top of it. And that's when into a bush, Cyclops falls quite without warning. Yow! And just like in Secret Wars, he is wearing his cut. Wait, this isn't his costume. <laughs> nope, he's wearing cutoffs and a tank top. How did this happen? And it's like a tank top half shirt. I guess him Shutera was like, nah. <laughs> Anything can happen when you go through the portal. I threw in a blast. It was a it was an explosion. Anything could happen. Scott, you're alive. Hi, Madeline. You won't believe what happened. Madeline is not happy. She's like, you disappeared right out of my arms. You I was kidnapped, babe. <laughs> you can't do this to me. You have no idea what I've been through. I've been here a week. Now, here's my question. You're on your honeymoon, mm -hmm. and your lover is in your arms, Yep. and your lover disappears. Now you know that your lover is an X-Man, has been through a lot of adventures. Yep. Do you hang around for a week? The X-Men rules of dwelling are you have to give them at least a week, and then the next day she was going to go somewhere. Oh, okay. So she's she's mad because he used up all of the time. Like she thought like two, three days, I could do that standing in my head, but a week, that's ridiculous. Do you know how much this cost me? <laughs> we have not been getting the value of this money. Uh, yeah. Well, I have. The professor, you're right. You don't know how many men I've had up here. <laughs> uh, Cyclops is like, I thought you understood. I can't change who I am. I'm Cyclops. I'm power. I mean, I have powers. I'm responsible. With great power <laughs> comes great responsibility is essentially what I'm saying here. So every now and then, Jim Shooter's going to have a miniseries and I'm going to get teleported away from whatever I'm doing. You're going to have to deal with it. Okay. I guess that's what they meant by for better or for worse. Could be. I love you, Red. Likewise, jerk face. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> All right, back in Tokyo, the dragon is flying around, crushing bits of the building, and jets are flying at it. It's using its wings to generate a bunch of wind, which is blowing over trees and tanks and people. Storm is trying to take over the weather and control the dragon's wind, and uh, she ends up inadvertently creating a tornado, which tosses her up into the sky, and she falls unconscious. And that's when, across uh, the way, the professor wakes up. He's covered in a pile of buildings, or building debris and girders, and he thinks to himself, Boy, Sunfire sure needs to do some practice. I have to get out of here. And my legs! I can't feel them! I can't feel anything! Merciful heaven! And that's when we get kind of a humorous uh, cut to Wolverine where he's thinking to himself, Charlie, cut it out, will you? You're screaming in our heads. Turn the volume down before you fry our brains. Wolverine, I'm trapped! You ain't alone, pal. I'm looking. I'm already looking for someone. How bad you hurt? Comrade Professor... Colossus is here, Wolverine. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very wet. 
<laughs> yeah. But I, I can feel the wetness down my legs, so I still have some sensations in my legs. Okay. Uh, uh, there's there's some people near uh, nearby uh, to to your left. Um, uh, I'll be I'll be okay. I, I'm fine. Actually, um, nobody should come over here right now. The smell is foul. I'm gonna need a new costume. I I may have pooed. <laughs> and he does actually continue to think to himself, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm not seriously injured. Far from it. But when I thought my legs had been crushed, I panicked. I never dreamed it was possible to know such terror. My body uh, may be whole, but the old psychic scars remain perhaps forever. What right do I have to lead the X-Men? <sighs> or even Glasses. be a part of the team if I cannot master myself. Okay. Colossus starts pulling away the debris, and, and meanwhile, Wolverine is thinking to himself, Charlie was really spooked. Do him some good to act human once in a while. He should try it more often. And that's when his enhanced senses kick in. He smells blood, and he discovers a woman and her young daughter. Yeah, they're, they're well, the, the woman is underneath a bunch, a bunch of debris. The child is safe. The child's crying. Wolverine picks up the child, tries to comfort her, tries to, to get her to, to calm down a little bit. The woman who's speaking Japanese is like, uh, uh, my chest hurts, I can't breathe, am I dying? And Wolverine, Wolverine says, hi. Right, which is Jeez. Japanese yes. for yes. So he's he can smell the death on her. And uh, she's afraid, but Wolverine is with her. He's going to stay with her as she passes, which is... You know, it's a Wolverine move. That's huge, right? I mean, you know, uh, he's a good guy. Nobody dies alone on Wolverine's watch. My daughter, Amiko, who will care for her? Wolverine vows to keep her safe uh, and uh, see that she is raised as if she were his own. So Wolverine's going to adopt a child. Which begins the saga of the worst parent ever. <laughs> <laughs> he has a short-lived miniseries, but... He's a really he, he's he's got really good intentions, and th and this is like a crucial Wolverine scene. I mean, this is like you know this is Wolverine. This is like something he would do. He would be honorable. He would take in a child, and uh, yeah, it just it doesn't play out well. It doesn't. <laughs> Does this? We'll we'll, we'll see. Well, not for a long time. Well, a lot of writers are going to forget that Wolverine has a surrogate child. Oh, okay. So I think what happens more than Wolverine being neglectful is that writers just don't want to write this story. Okay. Including possibly Chris Claremont. Oh. So he's like, I want to do something. Eh, never mind. But yeah, they'll they'll get back to it eventually. And Does this little girl become X-23? No, no. Okay. No. But she does come back. I was not aware that this little girl came back. I thought that this was just like Uncle Wolverine, like doing the right thing and showing his, uh, I don't know, his vulnerable nope. side. She definitely does come back and she definitely does have a semi-prominent role in Wolverine's life. Okay. Uh, as, as we'll see. Well, stay tuned, everybody. Anyways, uh, back to the dragon who looks like he's going to eat Storm or she's going to eat Storm. Yeah, he's about to. Sure, she's about to catch Storm in her mouth. And that's when Sunfire rescues in. I have you, Storm. Although he says it in Japan, so. Or <laughs> Japanese. He shoots. They're, they're all in Japan. Yeah, pretty much all of the stories being told in uh, with the little Japanese brackets there. Uh, Sunfire comments to himself that the dragon seems invulnerable to his blasts. He gets slapped by one of the dragon's wings because he wasn't paying attention. Idiots should have seen that coming. Falling like meteors have to slow our descent. 
And, and he, he manages to take the brunt of the impact, but uh, they still hit the ground pretty, pretty, pretty hard. I, I think they're unconscious. No, no, Storm, he's unconscious. Storm kind of comes back to it. And she's, uh, she's wondering where they have gone. Why are they so far away? Why are there children here? And uh, that's when she sees a big shadow of the dragon looming. The dragon is swooping in to eat her. And the kids, probably. Well, you know, whatever's in the way. Children run, says Storm. But just before the dragon can completely descend, Lockheed shows up. And Lockheed is a fifth the size of this dragon's eyeball. Right. It's it's, it's tiny. And uh, he does a little exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. So, I don't know. He's like, what's going on? <laughs> hey, big lady. <laughs> And uh, the what the heck are you doing? <laughs> the dragon speaks in roars that shake the countryside. So that's the big dragon. Lockheed, well, Lockheed's voice can barely be heard. <laughs> Still, he manages to make his point by blasting the dragon with his flame breath. She reels away more in shock than actual pain. She can't believe this is happening. How could Lockheed treat her so when she had given him her hearts? She never realized that was a gift he neither asked for nor desired. And Lockheed goes after her in what I'm assuming is some sort of like, baby, wait, I can change. <laughs> yeah, and then back at, uh, I don't know, Godzilla Central, the military people are like, oh, it's it's leaving. It's heading towards uh, the Soviet airspace. Let's see how the Russians deal with this. <laughs> Red Scare. <laughs> Stupid Russians. Take a dragon. It's Cold War. It's a Cold War weapon. Eh. Range closing between targets. Intercepted by my ancestors. Wait, interception. Dash, dash. By my ancestors. What's going on? And it's disappeared. Both the big dragon and the little dragon have disappeared. Yeah. Massive Not, uh, energy discharge. Sir, it's gone. The dragon's gone. They're both gone. Do we ever learn what happened? Not in this issue. and Probably oh. not. I mean, the professor will kind of sum it up niftily at the end. But uh, before that, the, the X-Men are dealing with some of the casualties to help and pick people up. Um, let's see. Back at the military, the Godzilla base, uh, Mariko Yashida and some guy, her boyfriend. Who is this guy? Well, uh, it should be pointed out that Wolverine and Nightcrawler are talking about the kid that uh, Wolverine has rescued. And he's, we'll have to trace the kid's family. And Nightcrawler says, if she has none. And then Wolverine says, I gave my word, elf. So, yeah, the Mariko and her little, the guy, are they're watching all the events on a giant television. And she secretly wishes that uh, she could, I don't know, that they could be together. And But because they can't, hopefully he'll have all the happiness. No, that they they could have all the happiness that they deserve, uh, but it can't happen. The path of duty is hard for me and fraught with peril as it is for you. I pray I can walk it with your courage and honor. Oh my God, the professor is walking. <laughs> so back on the hill, uh, or on a hill, they're kind of summarizing everything that's happened, talking with Sunfire when Lockheed shows up and uh, Colossus wonders like, well, what happened? And the professor's like, sensing his thoughts is one thing, Colossus, comprehending them is another. Lockheed is truly alien, and I suspect far, for, far more than a simple animal. Yeah, it says. <laughs> I have a feeling that of all of us, only Kitty has a hope of truly understanding him. Cool. 
Lockheed makes a cooing noise and blows out some smoke. And therein lies part of the answer to the question, Colossus. The dragon's poor thing was an unrequited love. I don't understand that at all. (laughs) Like... Why does the dragon blowing smoke answer part of the question? How does that mean an unrequited love? I'm very confused by this panel. I don't think the smoke has anything to do with it. I think it's, I have the feeling that Kitty's a hope of truly understanding him and therein lies part of the answer to Colossus's question. I don't know. Is the professor implying that Lockheed loves Kitty? Maybe. Maybe not like romantically, but but has a like a best friend connection with Kitty, maybe. Or maybe like romantically loves Kitty. I don't know. But it's not very well explained here. But, you know, he's trying to build to something like, hey, Lockheed's weird and mysterious and only Kitty's ever going to get any answers out of him. I don't know about the unrequited love. Or maybe the unrequited love, the dragon's, the dragon's poor thing, the dragon's thing was an unrequited love. I don't understand yeah, that either. Yeah, I'm thinking that uh, Lockheed loves Kitty, and that's why uh, Lockheed couldn't love the other dragon. You, you, you could be onto something, Adam. Yeah, yeah I that, just, I just got that just now. That's a good as a explanation as everything. But, but meanwhile, when they were on battle world, you know, casual sex. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> everybody was doing it. Yeah, I mean, hey man, we're on the planet. We may never get home. Who wants to get freaky? Lockheed <laughs> Colossus. Was, <laughs> Colossus does. Sign me up. Torch does. Lockheed's like, yes. Well, meanwhile, that doesn't explain why she so suddenly turned violent and tore Tokyo apart. Love makes you crazy, elf. You should know that. I do. I'm Wolverine. <laughs> you find yourself thinking about settling down, raising a family, building a house or a nest. It's a nice dream when it works. And he's pointing over to a bunch of crushed debris. It was, she was building a nest is what we're getting. Yep. She was taking po- the tops of buildings and creating a home for her and Lockheed. Aw. Meanwhile, in Washington, D.C., Senator Robert Kelly has proposed an obscene bill. Oh, my gosh. Um, somebody named Philip is really upset about it. I don't know that Philip has anything to do with anything, but he's the plot device in this issue to be like, this is crazy. This is disgusting. We can't do this. Senator Kelly threatens, you're making a mistake, and he slams down his proposal, and it's a federal bill, S-1, the Mutant Affairs Control Act. Dun, dun, dun! Introduced this day, 23rd January, 1984, in the second session of the 98th Congress by Senator Robert Kelly, and it's slapped down on top of the mutants by dragon over Tokyo. I guess assume battle, but that part's covered. Maybe they bake... A dragon over Tokyo. Mutants bake dragon over Tokyo. And in the newspaper, you got Sunfire blasting away a dragon. So it begins the Mutant Control Act story that will go on forever. Forever. (laughs) Next issue, Love and Madness. Adam, next week, are we actually going to read an X-Men comic? Oh, man, Jeremy. The answer is yes. Oh, I'm so happy. (laughs) Yeah. So... Glad we're back at the X-Men. Yeah. Wasn't a, wasn't a great issue, but, you know, I mean, at least it, it got us back into the flow, at least after Secret Wars. It's our X-Men doing X-Men stuff, but, you know, that didn't I really... I feel like it was, it was a little bit of a filler with, you know, with the whole Secret Wars thing happening. Chris Claremont was kind of getting his bearings. It's a connector. He's like, what do I got to do to get things back to normal? Okay, fancy suit. Lockheed was with a dragon. Whatever, I got this. Um, we got 
some uh, comments on the the Danger Rooms website, which can be accessed at uh, www.xmenpodcast.com. And this one's on uh, episode number 181, Whose Life Is It Anyway? And uh, it's from our favorite guy with a funny name, Doombot Tater Tot. (laughs) He's my favorite guy with a funny name. Anyways, he's got a lot to say. Uh, And I'll just try to summarize here. But uh, he talks about uh, Age of Apocalypse being very close to him because it's one of his favorite stories that he and his stepdad got to read. So he's looking forward to the movie. Uh, Although he does agree with kind of our assessment about the trailer, that it does kind of look meh. But he looks forward to our uh, coverage of Age of Apocalypse, which that's going to be a while away. Uh, Apparently it has something to do with Legion. Remember him? Yeah. Spoilers, Doombot Tater Tot. (laughs) Although, if I recall correctly, I think you learned that in like the first couple of pages. So, <laughs> I don't think it's a huge spoiler. Uh, he he hates to say it, but he's over Mystique in the movies, which I guess I, I can kind of see. Uh, and he points out all of the other blue mutants, Nightcrawler, Beast, Apocalypse, uh, Archangel, etc. Uh, and he thinks that uh, it's d- Jennifer Lawrence will get her own Mystique movie. And I thought about that for a minute and I was like, huh, what do you think about that, Adam? I don't think Jennifer Lawrence really, uh, I think she has enough pull in this um, industry at this point that if she wanted a Mystique movie, I'm sure the studio would be all over that. But it seems to me, and I'm totally just going based on just her 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 star rising she seems to be having i don't know she's only been in two movies but it seemed like this one i don't know i i, I guess i can't see mystique having her own movie to the to the point yeah I, i'm not really sure what's going on i don't know i don't know either but whatever i feel like she's phoning in mystique that's what i was getting at really yeah like i don't, I don't think this is uh something she really cares about yeah that could be i think she might be under contract and she's just getting it over with and uh she doesn't seem to be i mean very I, passionate about it i certainly but, that, but that, I'm, i could be completely wrong i mean that's just what i'm judging from her performance in the trailer oh sure Oh, and there's a follow-up trailer. There's another trailer I saw where she, she does turn blue. I did see that, yeah. Yeah, so that was not in the trailer that we reviewed. It was in like a follow-up trailer thing. Um, I, I, I guess I don't know. I mean, she certainly has made a successful career for herself, but I feel like all of her performances are kind of like that. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's she she kind of comes off that way in everything I've seen her do. I suppose you could be right about that. But it works, right? I mean, she's I'm not criticizing, just... Yeah, she's, she's America's sweetheart, Jennifer yeah. Lawrence. Yeah, she's, she's I, I like her. She's cool. Uh, but I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm actually kind of tired. In, in the X Men movies, in the in the pantheon of X Men movies, I'm tired of Magneto and uh, I'm tired of Mystique. But I don't think, at least Magneto, I don't think he's ever going anywhere. Yeah, probably not. I would like them to wrap up this story and move on to another story. What do you mean? This whole, this whole Professor X. Magneto thing doesn't really seem to be going anywhere anymore. I think we've gotten all of the high notes out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? It it was, it was really cool in, uh, first class. Well, you got to see like the friendship and then the, the split. And then you got another movie. Well, I guess the second movie was uh, Days of Future Past. So you really, yeah, excuse me, you really haven't had the first uh, full-on Professor X Magneto nemesis. And I guess you won't hear either because it's going to be our, or I mean, Apocalypse. Right. Yeah, so they can keep going on with this forever. <laughs> right. And I, I, I kind of just want them to close out this Magneto Professor X story. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, but speaking of other movies, uh, Adam, did you see Deadpool? 
No, I haven't seen Deadpool. All right. Well, I saw it twice. You should go see it, and then we can talk a little bit about it. We don't need to do a whole episode about it, but I think it wor- it's worth a segment. Did you really see it twice? I really saw it twice. Wow, was that good, huh? Well, I saw it with coworkers, and it was kind of like a, hey, I'm buying tickets, you want to go? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go. And we went, and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. And then my wife's like, I heard it was good. I want to go see it. And I was like, eh, I'd go see it again. And, and we did, and I, I enjoyed it both times. I almost saw it, but... Almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. That's right. So take it from me, folks who haven't seen Dead. And it's like the highest grossing R-rated movie ever. I guess the news is that the next, because of this, the next Wolverine movie is going to be a full-on R rating. I don't know if that's necessary. I I don't think it is. I think it's actually a really bad idea. (laughs) I mean, the only reason that Deadpool works with an R rating is because A, he's an anti-hero, and B... He gets to swear a lot. Uh, Wolverine can swear a little bit, but he doesn't need to be like super graphically bloody. Which I think is a mistake. I think they're taking it down the wrong corridor. He can be PG or PG-13 stabby, but it doesn't have to be – it doesn't have to be graphic. Like I – here's what I could see, Adam. I could see a R-rated Daredevil movie. Don't you think if they called from like some Frank Miller stuff, like you could find some like dirty back alley, bloody drug using Daredevil movie like that strikes me as an R-rated film. But Wolverine doesn't, e- even though he should, right? Because he's got the claws and he cuts people. Um, I don't think that any superhero needs to be R. Well, nothing. Maybe, Dead- maybe Deadpool is the exception. Well, nothing needs to be an R, but. I mean, the Deadpool series or the Daredevil series was pretty good. And that was practically an R. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But um, the other thing that they're doing with the new Wolverine movie is uh, they're doing Old Man Logan, I guess, is the rumor, which is, in my opinion, a terrible idea. I never read Old Man Logan, so. Did you see the movie Unforgiven? No. Is that? Clint Eastwood? Yeah, no, no, I don't think I did. Oh, well, just go rent that movie and you'll see Old Man Logan. (laughs) And then imagine that the Old West is... uh, the Marvel Universe, but an alternate future where all of the superheroes are dead and the villains have divided the world up or uh, America up into segments that each of the villains own. And it's a great story. However, there are so many Marvel superheroes that are critical to the telling of that story that it's just going to be like, what are they just going to reuse all of the X-Men? Well, it's going to have Magneto in it again. That's all they can do is they can only call from the, the mutants Right. They, they can't. Captain America can't be there. Spider-Man can't be there. And I get it. You know, Fox is taking a popular story and turning it into a movie. And that's what you do. But it's just going to be another flop. <laughs> I love your enthusiasm, Adam, and your optimism. I was very excited when they were said they were going to do the first movie. Yeah. Or the, the first miniseries. The, oh, of Old Man Logan? Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. No, no the first, no, first miniseries of Wolverine. Gotcha. The one that we, the one that we uh, reviewed or, or whatever we did. Whatever we do. The Wolverine. And, uh, yeah. So I was very excited about that. And they didn't do it justice. So the fact that already right from the beginning they can't do it justice because it's not going to have any of the Marvel superheroes in it. It's just like, what's the point? Well, I'm just going to... Um, unless you diverge completely, which I guess is a possibility. I don't know. I just sound really negative i'm gonna stop talking well you know what adam they they might do the old man logan story but it might just be an old logan doing stuff right (laughs) just like just like the wolverine was you know you had the opening scene from the wolverine miniseries and then it was a totally original story the other thing is that 
Old Man Logan is a blatant reimagining of a 1990s movie starring Clint Eastwood. So now they're creating a movie about a comic based on a movie. Well, in it's all just, in all fairness, Days of Future's Past is nothing but a superhero version of Terminator. Interesting. <laughs> think about it. Think about it, right? Think about it. No. <laughs> just you're, just no. You're not going to think about it? No, no. I, I, did, I did think about it. I'm done. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's, uh, yeah, anyways, if you want to weigh in in this conversation, uh, feel free to join us. www.xmenpodcast.com uh, is where all of the episodes are. What did I just say? I'm on autopilot. <laughs> www.xmenpodcast.com or where all the episodes are. Facebook.com forward slash xmenpodcast. Uh, like us there. Um, Jeez, I haven't done this in so long, Adam. I don't remember how. Um, Danger you got this. You got this. Danger Room at redcapproductions.com for email. At Danger Room Go is where we can be Twitter followed. You can listen to us on internet radio at Stitcher. You can go into iTunes, type in Danger Room Podcast. We're the first thing that shows up. You can uh, subscribe to us, leave us a review. Uh, etc. And uh, you can call us, 501-GET-X-MEN. I'm sure there's some things I forgot, but uh, yeah, we're getting back to the swing of the actual X-Men. Patrick Finnegan, he joined us at Facebook. He said, hey guys, about 10 episodes ago, you were wondering aloud about Marvel Unlimited and what's it all about? Is it worth it, etc. He's still an episode behind. I'm sure that's changed by now. Uh, but he hasn't heard it anywhere else, so he's going to write in. Basically, Marvel Unlimited is awesome. It has thousands of Marvel comics. I would say it has nearly everything Marvel's published in the last 15 years and a lot of stuff from the 60s and 90s. Uh, as far as the X-Men are concerned, it has every Uncanny X-Men. Oh my gosh, it goes on. So it's got like all of your X-Books and you can read it on your Nook, your iPhone. It's basically Netflix for your Marvel comics. So basically, uh, I was confused at first when I read this because I thought he was talking about, wasn't there like an X-Men Unlimited series? Oh, that, yeah, there was. And then of course there's Ultimate series. But he's talking about the Marvel Unlimited service, which is unlimited access to just about everything Marvel has ever published. So what, like the Netflix of, of uh, comic books, basically, of Marvel comic books? That's what he's saying, and he is saying he's a huge fan of it. Um, cool. Which which is awesome. I, I, yeah, I was probably the one who brought this up, because I do have some friends who use it, and they have said it was awesome, and I, I, it's just, I feel weird about paying for comic books in the way that I pay for movies. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Well, Netflix. I, I like the Netflix thing. Even oh. though there are some months when I don't watch Netflix and I'm just paying for nothing. But ultimately, I watch probably more movies than it's it would be. Uh, it's cost effective. I don't know if I would do that with comics. So you you don't want to own many physical copies of movies? Or do you, do you even want to own physical copies of comics anymore? Uh, I don't know. I need to rethink my life. <laughs> I, I get it. I mean, it... it there's a uh, comics. We grow up from an era where comics are something you hold; they're tangible. Um, even though the paper is just a delivery mechanism for the media, I mean, it doesn't. Right. The content doesn't change if you're reading it on a tablet or a page. Though some might argue, just like they might argue that a vinyl record is better than a CD, that a comic on newsprint is better than an iPad. And they might be right. They might be wrong. We come from an analog world. It's like owning a Kindle and buying books that are completely digital is weird. And that's what I was going to go along with the movie thing is like, 
we came from an era that you, you could own movies, but I mean, if you remember the old VHS Columbia House thing, those darn movies cost like $60 a pop. So I do not miss VHS. Right. So the only way to watch a movie was to go down to the rental store, give them your two bucks, take your movie home, watch it for the night and give it back. So checking a movie out or paying for it and that, that makes sense because, you know, in those times you didn't own most people did not have a movie collection because it would have been super expensive. But the nature of movies is different than the nature of books. You go to the movie theater and you're essentially renting that space and watching a movie, which you don't get to see again until you buy it later. That is kind of the dichotomy of movies, whereas books, you have to, I guess you could go to the library. <laughs> but for the most part, you 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 buy the book, you own the book, you can read the book whenever you want. Um Buddy, I'm it's, with you. It's just, it's just slightly different. Di owning a movie digitally makes sense to me, where owning a book digitally is starting to make sense to me. Owning a comic book digitally, I'm not quite there yet. I only own like three or four digital movies, and that's because uh, Google gave them away for free. <laughs> I that I can't get my head around purchasing a digital movie, but I can. And do give my money every month to both Amazon Prime and Netflix to get the digital movie subscription service. Yeah, which you're basically paying. You're not really paying for a movie. You're paying for a service. Yes, but but I would never. I guess I can't say never, but I have not yet been like, I'm going to spend $12 to own an HD digital copy of X movie. That doesn't compute. Yeah, I, I, I bought one and it's only because I couldn't find it anywhere else and it was on mega sale. Oh, well, see. <laughs> like it, it's not available on Blu-ray. It's not available. Like it was one of the ones that is difficult to find uh, and download, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and um, so I just said, I'll bite the bullet and I'll pay the eight bucks. And now I have a digital copy of it on my cloud account at Amazon what? and I can watch it whenever I want. What movie is it? Um, it was that Marie Antoinette movie starring Christian, Kirsten Dunst. No idea. It's like a three hour epic. It's really good. I like it. Oh, okay. I couldn't recommend it to anybody. It's kind of an art flick. Huh. It's weird. All right. Well, let's talk about New Mutants because they were doing stuff during Secret Wars. Yeah. Whatever happened to Kitty Pride? She... Met like last last we left off with the Kitty Pride. She was on an airplane and with Doug Ramsey headed towards the Massachusetts Academy, as inferred in this very issue of X Men. And uh, turned out Emma Frost was driving the plane. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, or at least uh, you know serving the drinks. That's where we last left off. But uh, back at the mansion uh, in New Mutants number fifteen, uh, Ileana's practicing her magic. And there is a very large Garfield in the foreground, which is very distracting. <laughs> it is. And a Tom Selleck poster in the background. <laughs> she practices her magic. She's able to cast an astral projection. Uh, and she's just kind of floating around. She's kind of recounting how the X-Men have disappeared. Kitty's off the Massachusetts Academy. Uh, and, uh, you know, she's, she's floating around. Eventually she makes it to the Massachusetts Academy. Because she's worried about Kitty. She hasn't... Checked in with the uh, with the X Mansion at any time soon, and, and it, it's been it's been a couple days. And apparently, it's been with good reason because uh, Ileana she or she she <clears throat> astral projects herself through the Massachusetts Academy down to the subfloors, and she finds Kitty Pride tied up in a chair, and the White Queen Emma Frost is uh, well, she's taunting Kitty. Poor Kitty, she thinks to herself. First, she was kidnapped by the Morlocks, and now this. I only hope I can be of some use. So uh, the uh, White Queen has bound Kitty in some 
anti-mutant power thing so she can't phase. She's smoking a cigarette out of one of those really long things that you put cigarettes in. She's speaking French. And uh, Kitty's like, Doug's going to get me. You just wait. Emma Frost hates to tell her, but uh, Doug thinks she's hanging out. Uh, he's hanging out with you. In fact, uh, he thinks he's making out with you. And he, uh, Emma Frost shows Kitty what Doug is seeing uh, right now. He, Doug is dressed in a tuxedo. He's got a corsage and he's dancing with uh, Kitty and they're, they're, they're locking lips. And uh, Emma Frost says he's in love with you. Deal with it. And Kitty's like, you're lying. You're in love with him. Oh, he's just a friend. <laughs> Catherine, Catherine, I thought you knew better than to try to deceive a mind reader. Why are you doing this? I need to change the subject and fast. I felt sorry when I heard what Mastermind did to you. Don't talk about that, bad girl. <laughs> yeah, she uh, says that Mastermind essentially uh, confronted her with illusions and put her into a catatonic state that he thought she would never recover from, but she did. Yep. said. Yep. <laughs> End of that plot line. Yeah. <laughs> Next. Um, and so Kitty's trying to call out to the... Well, she's trying to defend her mind using psychic defenses. The professor's taught her. It's not working. Um, White queen's in her, in her head. And uh, that's when Kitty starts getting all tough and she's t doing some tough talk to the white queen, but she, out of the corner of her eye, she sees Ileana. And uh, Ileana's notes that Kitty should not be able to see her because she's in her astral form and the White Queen also can see her and recognize her and says Colossus is baby sister I'll be I'll soon be rid of her and blast her with her as yet unrevealed blasting powers so the inference here is that because Kitty and I'm not sure about um, the White Queen because maybe the White Queen's psi powers help but the fact that Kitty can see her in her astral form uh, proves or I don't know, is inferring that Kitty's got some some abilities that we're not yet aware of. Yeah, she discusses it later. We can talk about it now since, like, we might actually skip over it. But uh, <laughs> she she says uh, she it makes sense that the White Queen would be able to see her because of the whole Psy thing. But Kitty is an anomaly. She doesn't know why Kitty would be able to see her. She wonders what that means. So the White Queen blasts the astral projection, which causes Ileana physical pain. She screams. And that's when Yarg! the new mutants assemble their pajamas and run towards Ileana's room. And uh, Cannonball kicks open Ileana's door and there's a demon filling the entire door. Keep in mind, everybody, that the New Mutants and the X-Men are not aware of Ileana's abilities at this point. Yeah, she revealed at the very beginning of this issue that she was doing it in the morning so she could do it without anybody noticing. This is very Evil Dead, this panel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I like it a lot. And then, so, the it's a monster. It's got, like, a tail and legs, and instead of arms, it's got little bat wings. But a whole bunch of these little creatures are flying all over the place. They're escaping from... Uh, what looks like Ileana's mind. So the mutants... Yeah, it's straight out of her head. The the new mutants kind of suit up, power up, and uh, uh, they, they wrangle all of the uh, monsters. Yeah, they every time they touch them, the monsters disappear. They're very delicate, and so they keep, like, punching them, and then the forces of their punches and whatnot are usually way too much because they end up, like, crashing out the window and such. 
And then uh, is it Cheyenne here? She casts an illusion on the monsters to show them what they're most afraid of. And the figure that they're afraid of is a very demonic and evil Ilyana. Mm-hmm. What? Which, you know... No, it makes sense. Doesn't really, you know, it, they're afraid of Ilyana, but, you know, a demonic version of Ilyana. The, based on uh, Danny Moonstar's powers, there's... She shouldn't... There shouldn't be anything strange about this. Well, it's strange to Danny. It's not strange to like, anybody else. Because, like, like, you know, when she made the um, Cole and Reese Wolverine, he also looked very demonic. Oh. Oh, okay. So, so that's that's what I'm getting at. Got it. So it's it's now been changed that she's seeing a very literal interpretation of Ilana, Ileana, and she's I think she's, like, surprised by it. Yes, it, it, that is what is happening, but it shouldn't. That is not what it should be. Even in the next issue, she she does a uh, she does the White Queen, and the White Queen appears demonic. So I feel like everybody just sees their uh, their version of their nightmare as the worst possible version. So Danny should not be freaking out about this. True. She's certain that she's losing it though, because she continues to watch uh, a demonic Ileana come towards her, pick her up. And carry her. Um, yeah. And she notes that you're a sorceress. That's weird. The Indians show up and they've got some questions for her. And a little while later in the kitchen, she basically reveals everything. She's not just a mutant. She's a sorceress. And uh, she was concerned about Kitty. She went to the Hellfire Club or... She's a prisoner of the Hellfire Club. She went to the college. And uh, Emma Frost is back. And... <laughs> Yeah, well, the New Mutants are like, hey, we're not supposed to run missions if the Professor and the X-Men are out. We're supposed to call the Avengers or Fantastic Four. So they do, but of course, they're all off at Secret Wars. Indeed, they have. For details, see Secret Wars number one. So they're like, all right, let's go. Let's do it. Also, meanwhile, uh, the New Mutants are skeptical, hesitant. Well, they still, they still don't really like Kitty. Well, they don't like Kitty, but they're also afraid now of Ileana. Well, yeah, that's true. Because they've seen these demons, they've seen like this sorcerer stuff, she's been keeping secrets, but ultimately... Cannonball says, you know, you don't send high school varsity, no matter how good they are, up against the Pittsburgh Steelers, it's suicide, which is a good point. We're we're just kids. Adults are pretty nasty. But ultimately they decide to go. And the only way they can figure out how to go to Massachusetts is by bus. They put together their funds and... Hop on a bus. Because the professor never leaves them any money. There's a weird scene. <laughs> no stipend for you. There's a strange sequence where Rain and uh, Roberto are reminded of their strange um, occurrence where they met up with uh, uh, Cloak and Dagger. Yeah, I didn't understand the sequence. I mean, I know that there was a story involving Cloak and Dagger, but I didn't know why it was featured in this issue. Well, they those two got drugged by the same uh, drug that made Cloak and Dagger, and then Cloak and Dagger stole it or absorbed it out of their bodies to save them. But apparently they're still being affected by that. Mm. It, it it has ramifications later. Oh, okay. So, yeah, they talk a little bit more. Sam talks to Rain about the whole witchy thing. Sam reminds her she's that she's a, a witch werewolf. and I'm a werewolf. Ah, oh, man, that sucks. I'm, I'm evil and my pastor says so. There's a lot of crying. <laughs> Sam comforts her. Then we go to the Massachusetts Academy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, magma burns a hole through the floor to get in, and now they're inside. Ooh, Ileana has a little her own little X-Man uniform now. It's actually Kitty's. She's wearing Kitty's old X-Man uniform. So they come up through the hole, and they're looking around. They find Kitty almost immediately, and they have a quick little conversation. But time, Rasputin, 
The bus, the bus broke down. The bus broke down. You took a bus out here? Oh, man. Damn straight. So Ileana goes to get the bindings uh, that are holding Kitty back, and she goes right through Kitty and the chair. We've been tricked. And that's when they get ambushed by a giant size Emma Frost with a uh, holding a Kitty Pride who has been um, apparently defeated and is wearing a... A She's wearing a purple outfit. She's been wearing it the whole time, th- this whole issue. She was wearing it in the first panel as oh, well. Oh, she was? Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. If you've harmed Kitty, Ileana thinks to herself, I'll bring, I'll bring a mountain on top of you. I can't do it. <laughs> uh, and uh, it'll take, I'll use my magic to move your precious academy from Earth to the heart of hell itself. Next issue, meet the Hellions. Aw, yeah. (laughs) In Away Game, which takes us to New Mutants number 16, which starts off immediately after 15 with the giant Emma Frost and the giant kitty. Bunch of uh, uh, Hellfire Club goons come in with their guns. Amara flashes a hot white blast and nobody can see, so the new mutants escape. Um, Oh, she, I guess she's certain they have to go to emergency power as well. Kitty is now at a dinner table with Emma Frost. um, And uh, her, her, her plan here is to, um, I don't know, brainwash Kitty. And she's, she's, done this uh um she's threatening her parents i think like your parents will be poor and yeah you're, you're gonna join me and kitty's she like, says she she implies that she already has brainwashed kitty yeah which yeah. i don't know if that's just more manipulating you can't brainwash me wrong dear i've succeeded with you you see whatever <sighs> We get the whole the Hellfire Club's goal is world domination, and it doesn't matter how we get there, but we're going to get there. We're homo superior. You're... All I want is to be left alone to live my life in peace. Is that too much to ask? You lost that op- uh, option the moment you were born, says Emma Frost. Yep. So Deal the... with it. You're a mutant sucker. The the new mutants are held in a room. They're, they're in a storeroom. Well, they're, they're, they've, they're not held. They're on the run. Oh, so they got away from the goons? Yeah. Oh, Amara's Flash, that's right. So they're hiding. Uh, there's a couple of uh, Hellfire goons that walk by. They're nabbed. There are two Hellfire women who happen to be the same size as Danny and Ilyana, so they steal their outfits. Uh, Dan, This is when Danny shows them their worst fear, which is the White Queen. Like I said, she looks like a crazy demon. Yep. Yeah, so they put on their outfits. They take off uh, Amara and Sam, or Amara melts a hole in the floor. Sam follows her. They're going to go find Doug Ramsey. Uh, so they're breaking up into teams. Some some explosions are heard. Kitty's like, oh, the kids got one. But uh, White Queen, she doesn't really care. She's just lighting some candles, saying the battle has barely begun. Anything can happen. She has resources that are as yet untapped. Yeah. So, a bunch of uh, stuff happens with the Hellfire Club and the New Mutants. Uh, yeah, every, everybody goes on their plans, and um, they get stopped, everyone, uh, by each, each in their turn, uh, by a member of Emma Frost's Hellions, which is the uh, the bad guy superhero team, I guess, that is the opposite of the New Mutants. Each member of the Hellions has a similar power to a New Mutant. Yes. Almost. Evil new mutants, the Hellions. And uh, I think it's been Emma's goal 
from the get-go to recruit Kitty into this team of Hellions. Right. And maybe the New Mutants now that she's got to got to meet them. But yeah, the and Doug new, Ramsey too. The New Mutants uh, are dealt with pretty handily by the Hellions. They're taken by surprise. They uh, they managed to fight back a little bit, but they they're not ready. No. Uh, so it ends up that um, Sam and Magma go after Doug Ramsey, and they end up fighting. Uh, Love face. I forget what his name is. Uh, some hellion. I don't remember. A guy whose power is to make them feel like they're the best friend. And then the uh, opposing cannonball character, they, they do a little fly around and they're fighting in the air and stuff and blowing up trees. And uh, uh, cannonball ends up saving this guy's life. Uh, I forget what his name is. Darn it. It doesn't um, matter. Doug, I mean, it, it would it would make for a better story. <laughs> it's random hellion guy. It doesn't matter. I mean, he does have a name. They all have names. But Doug Ramsey, he runs out and uh, he, he doesn't believe what he's seeing. You guys have superpowers. Wait till I tell Kitty. And, and that's when the Emma Frost shows up and she's making everybody see what they want to believe. So Magna sees her mom and Sam Guthrie sees Magma as a girl that's in love with her. So they uh, walk off with Emma Frost, so she's she's best of them essentially. She sends Doug Ramsey back to bed. Uh, probably a discreet mind wipe she gives him. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny and uh, Ilyana barely escape a battle with some more Hellions. This guy's but, this guy's name is Cat's Eye. Ah, uh, yes, Cat's Eye is the uh, version of uh, Rain, and then this uh, other person is like Tarot or something. Kitty. She, has, she not- uses Tarot cards. Tarot cards. Tarot cards. Ileana kind of turns the tides when she grabs for her soul sword, which is uh, which is kind of cool. It looks like a lightsaber, and she's able to to soul sword cut Cat's Eye. Doesn't kill him. But. No, that's not Cat's Eye. That's a demon. Oh, that a demon. The, the Terra girl caught, caused. Okay. So I guess she Cat's, kills. Yeah, Cat's Eye is in the other room. Uh, eventually, though, some. Guy, maybe an illusion, I'm not sure, on a horse, kicks uh, Ilion in the head, and everybody's unconscious. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's not what happens. Uh, tarot, the tarot girl creates the uh, death on a horse, which is that guy. And then Ilyana and uh, Danny escape in one of Ilyana's uh, circles when Emma Frost shows up and starts showing. She shows Danny what she wants to see, which is her grandfather, but she can't get into Danny's head. So Danny is able, or uh, she can't get into Ilyana's head. So Ilyana casts one of her light circles and Danny and Ilyana escape. And that's where this one ends. Yes. The final showdown, next issue and the getaway. So we get the name in the next issue, number 17. We get the name of the, the one guy is Empath. He's the guy who can make people like him. Uh, Yeah. And the one guy, these all look like Starfleet uniforms too, I might add. The, uh. The cannonball version is Jetstream. He's part cyborg. Um, oh, and there's Thunderbird. We should point that out. He's kind of important. Yeah. I, no, I was he was was Thunderbird. Where was the, I mean? I, there's obviously James Proudstar Thunderbird. This is not James Proudstar. But have we seen him in any of the X Men or New Mutants? We saw him. Uh, that New Mutants issue that we just did was his first appearance. Okay. But we did see him in a classic X-Men. Right. I was trying to sort those out because I knew we'd seen him in this podcast, but I couldn't remember if that was a classic X-Men backup story or if there was an old issue where he showed up. It's like, I'm mad because you killed my brother. Exactly. So 
Yeah, they go to they go to hold his funeral, James right. Proudstar's funeral, and uh, this, this time dude shows up. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the, the so little, he's a, he's a hellion now. He wants revenge. There's a little infighting amongst the hellions, uh, but uh, White Queen comes and breaks it up. They sit down at a table to talk about what went wrong uh, when they tried to get back the new mutants. Um, it is Terret. I was right. So Terret is uh, her power is is that she uses tarot cards, which I will try to pronounce correctly from now on, <laughs> but I cannot guarantee anything. Um, nobody likes empath because empath put everybody in danger, and he's very selfish. Meanwhile, the uh, new mutants and Kitty are trapped in this room where they don't get to use their powers. Um, Roberto has a backache because of something that uh, one of the Hellions did to him. Kitty climbs oh, up on his back of, and gives him a the, nice massage. Of, <laughs> yeah, that is strange. One of the Hellions has luck powers. So she sent Roberto bad luck when he, he was trying to rescue uh, Rain, I believe it was. So he was lifting like a bookshelf or something. And the bad luck gave him a, a like a nerve pinch or something like that. So as they're talking about all this and Kitty's giving Roberto a back rub, uh, the new mutants say that the Avengers and Fantastic Four, along with the X-Men, are gone, and they we don't know if they'll ever be back. And that's when Kitty's like, Oh, no! Right. White Queen comes in to gloat a little bit. Which my mind's still my own. So we cut over to Limbo. And to me, this is the only important thing in this whole story. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, so we get kind of our first taste of... Uh, post-magic of Limbo. And as we talked about in the miniseries, the way Ilyana teleports is she goes into Limbo and comes out wherever she wants to go. Yes, but that, she, she mm -hmm. does explain that in this issue as well. So, so I mean, the important piece here is this is the first time any of the New Mutants have teleported with her. And right. so Danny wakes up and she's like, oh my God, demons! And she's fighting the demons and... Sim shows up, and he's like, good eye, sweetheart. And uh, Sim, as we know from the magic story, is is vowed to be Ilyana's servant. So he very nicely takes both Danny and Ilyana to uh, a bed so that Ilyana can recuperate. Gives them, gives them some different clothes, gives Ilyana a nice gown, and Danny gets kind of an Indian, uh, some sort of Indian formal garb. Sort of the dress and pants and stuff like that. So, so Danny's, uh, Danny's getting the inside skinny into what kind of, well, what Ileana is capable of doing. Uh, and, and that's kind of cool to me. Like, can you imagine, like, your power, one of your powers is to have, like, a, a whole realm that you get to go in and out of filled <laughs> with have, creatures? If I, was, if I was Danny, I'd be like, wow, this is really messed up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and she is kind of like, whoa. And so... Sim eventually, he's, you know, talking, and he overstays his welcome. Ileana casts the teleport circle, and off he goes. So she does continue to explain, yes, uh, this is how I teleport. So we go into limbo, and we come out of limbo. Um, she casts a sig sig sigil? sigil. Which confuses uh, Danny because silver means that it's white magic, but Ileana is facing the wrong way, which means that it's black magic. So it's some, Ileana's magic is somewhere in the middle and she doesn't understand if she's good or bad. But uh, in this case, Ileana is just healing herself and uh, having healed, they, they decide to move on back to 
the lair where uh, of the uh, the Hellfire Club, the Massachusetts College, and it turns out that it's a year later. Well, they don't know that right away, but they teleport back. And they see the Hellions, followed by the New Mutants and Kitty, all in Hellions uniforms. And like, what's going on? Do you see what I see? I can't believe what we see. And they duck into an office, and that's when they grab. Well, first they notice that outside, it's summer, there's green trees. It's not the middle of the night anymore like it used to be. They grab a newspaper, and they're like, oh my god, it's been a year. Over a year oh, has passed. And what the, could have happened that the new mutants joined the Hellions in one year? And Ileana says, yeah, sometimes this happens. Kind of happened to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and she also, when she was in limbo, she said she didn't, she was having some difficulties focusing or something. So uh, she, she, she inadvertently put them a year into the future. Uh, I want to say that maybe none of the heroes returned or maybe they did return. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, that's a good question. So does everybody die in Secret Wars <laughs> in this scenario? I guess. Uh, anyway, just forget about everybody. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter for long because the white cream, que- the white cream, the white queen comes in, <laughs> and she says, "I thought I recognized some familiar minds. There you are." And now I'm going to capture you, and you will join as they joined uh, before you. And this time. Uh, Danny or Ileana, when they escape, they go backwards in time, which Ileana is also able to do. We don't get a cut into limbo, but let's assume that this panel where they're transporting is a quick step into limbo. And they are, it is now a week later than when they originally uh, transported. Yep. So, you know, they're rightfully wondering, like, what events led to them joining? Is this uh, a foregone conclusion? Is there anything we can do to... To, to fix this, uh, let's let's go find the new mutants. And they do. They sneak into their room and they start a rescue. But that's when the Hellions get the jump on them. And most of them are dressed in their uniforms. But this one girl is dressed in, like, the lingerie. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a teddy. Everybody else is in their costume. That's weird. Anyway, uh, so the Hellions want to challenge the New Mutants to a uh, duel uh, with their best member versus the New Mutants' best member. And if the New Mutants win, uh, they get to go free because they just want to see who the best team actually is. Lose and you stay willingly no matter what. So perhaps this is the moment that without Ileana and Danny being present, caused them to join the Hellions. Which doesn't really make much sense. I mean, these are naturally good people, and you would assume that uh, White Queen's sending them out on bad missions. So, right. But whatever. Anyways. Uh, so the, the two members that they choose are Cannonball and Jetstream, which is convenient because they have similar powers. Kind of dumb. <laughs> So a danger room-like scenario pops out with, you know, knives and guns and flamethrowers and stuff. It's like an old-school danger room. It doesn't have any of the Shi'ar technology or the, yeah. Speaking of which, have we had Shi'ar technology danger room yet? Well, we've had some pretty awesome holograms. So okay. right. it's it is far beyond the technology of, uh, it's it's basically like holodeck technology. Okay. So yeah, Jetstream and Cannonball, they fly off, they they get attacked by various Danger Room-esque traps, they get out of each and every one of them, they're 
Hellions are cheering on Jetstream. Nubians are cheering on Cannonball. Uh, and uh, it takes short a story, long time. Short story, Cannonball wins. <laughs> yeah. But as Cannonball wins and the, new, and the Hellions are about to let them go, uh, Emma Frost and uh, Sebastian Shaw show up and say, hey, what's going on? And the Hellions are like, we made a deal. They get to go. And Emma Frost is like, uh, no. <laughs> How noble, James. Tell me, though, by what stretch of the imagination, by what right do you dare usurp my authority? Oh, so this is James Proudstar. So who is the other one? I don't know. Who's the Thunderbird that died? Well, oh, John Proudstar. John Proudstar. Okay. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, 20 minutes ago, there was a fan, like, freaking out. <laughs> James Proudstar? What's wrong with you? You call yourself an X-Men podcast? Sorry, dude. He promptly deleted the podcast, and uh, we've lost a fan forever. Oh, no. <laughs> well, Cannonball's like, I don't think before I act. So he goes into Cannonball mode and hits Sebastian Shaw in the chest. Clearly, he hasn't been reading the X-Men files because Sebastian Shaw absorbs kinetic energy and is able to return it in full. Which uh, Sebastian Shaw explains, as he always explains his <laughs> power every time he appears. Apparently, Roberto was not listening because he runs up and starts smacking the crap out of him, which, of course, does not work. Um Danny attempts to use her ability uh, on Emma Frost, and but Emma Frost reverts it. So the so Danny sees her worst fear, which is the mystic bear that slew her parents. Yes, which may or may not be important for upcoming stories. Kitty Pride during all of this stuff sneaks away and makes the danger room go crazy or the not danger room go crazy and uh, using her ability to phase through the machinery. And that's when the new mutants escape. And then this issue gets wrapped up pretty quickly. Uh, Cat's Paw helps the new mutants rescue Roberto, who is on conscious and then she's like uh i'd go off with you guys because you guys have a cat person too but i like this place cat's eye stays happy place cat's eye out <laughs> peace y'all so they head back to the mansion um sam's like well, that limbo place sure is freaky do you think uh, do you go through there every time you teleport iliana fred so sam says iliana uh, at least it's the still the it's still night, but is it the same night we shifted in space? Did we move in time as well? So she kind of sort of controls her powers, but not really. Without the professor, how will uh, however will I learn to control my powers? So it's a week later, but the X Men are not back at the mansion yet. Yeah. Uh, so they've only shifted in time once, and yeah, by now they might be in Japan, and the New Mutants just haven't turned on the TV to see the news. I think that's what's happening. As they walk in, Danny turns around and she sees a cloud turn into a spirit bear. Oh, actually, something in the next issue of X Men uh, happens before this last page, but we'll get to that next week. In the pages of the X Men. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, and, and we'll talk a little bit next time about more uh, New Mutants because some other important things happen in it, as well as, I got to be honest, the creative team changes and it's a far more interesting read. Yeah, the next issue we're definitely going to cover because of... Because uh, of well, stuff. Because of one major thing. Yeah. So, Adam, did you do any other reading? Uh, I did. I read Alpha Flight number 10 and Defenders number 131. Uh, Alpha Flight, um, the only cool thing about Alpha Flight that I want to bring up is that I had mentioned before that um, I felt like 
they knew that what's his name was gay. Oh, Wonder um, Man? No, no, no. <laughs> Wonder Man's an Avenger. Oh, but he he is uh, Jean Paul Boubier. Oh, uh, North Star. North Star. So when they do the, the when they do the flashback in Alpha Flight, where they're uh, all the members are slowly joining Alpha Flight, uh, Jean Paul learns that he is sister uh, brother to Aurora for the first time, and uh, Vindicator is saying t- talking about how he figured out that North Star was a mutant because you know just overnight he became this kind of uh, sports hero, and uh, and then he says, and so you went on using your mutant abilities, growing more and more famous, and once you turned pro, richer and richer, you had it all: money, fame. Women, dot, dot, dot. Although the women don't seem to have interested you over much. I suppose like a lot of jocks, the winning is all that really matters. Getting out there and making that other guy eat dust or snow. I just feel like a comic book where they need to do the whole, although the women don't seem to have interested you over much, is basically a implication that they know where they're headed with this. You think so? Why would they call that out if they didn't know? I don't. I, I mean, maybe it's more like you didn't care about the girls. All you cared about was sports and winning. You uh, could be right, Adam. I, I don't know. I just feel like you're definitely. It's definitely you could be. You could be right, and I could just be reading into it based on what I know. Well, I feel like maybe maybe you are right, and maybe the creators were heading that direction. But I also feel that. Uh, that would have been pretty risque for a major publisher to do in the early to mid 80s. Well, it it is, but they haven't committed to it yet. Right. So maybe they wrote it that way so they could go either way. Like, yeah, yeah, sports is my passion. Because this is this is the second slight implication that we've had that North Star is gay. But you know, I'm it's 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 interesting reading these. Sure, sure. I I, I hope they are because I definitely it's definitely like applause worthy in the eighties that they're they're kind of on the fence. And well, do we really want to do this? This is going to be a big deal. It, they might have. They might have like again. They might have just left it open enough so that they could backpedal if they needed to. Uh, speaking of that sort of talk in new defenders 131 uh the beast is now on the lecture circuit uh he's doing colleges and he's taking Iceman and warren worthington with him and he's very nervous at his first lecture at the brooklyn university and um Iceman introduced some girl comes over to Warren and Iceman says and says, are you are you are you two superheroes, too? And Warren says, I'm Mr. McCoy's booking agent. And Iceman says, I'm Lance, his boyfriend. Wow. And the girl's like, OK. And Beast freaks out. and He's like, why did you say that, Bobby? What if she believes you? <laughs> Bobby's like, but 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 what about that night we shared? <laughs> Which is interesting. All right, maybe it wasn't like, maybe it wasn't as taboo as I thought it was. I mean, obviously Bobby's making a joke, but all right, yeah, Bobby's definitely making a joke. I mean, in the last issue, he was pining over uh, um, some girl from the Defenders. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. Uh, did you did you read X Men number six hundred yet? No. All right, so old Bobby, you remember how young Bobby came out of the closet as gay in the pages of All New X-Men? No, uh, maybe. Yes, I knew that, but I don't remember if I read it or I heard it, but yes. Well, young Bobby finally confronts old Bobby about it, and oh. you should you should read X-Men number 600. I won't spoil it for you, but you should definitely read it. Huh, that's weird. It's, it's, it's strange, and I'd like to talk about it. 
Anyway, so the rest of this issue goes on and it's got Leapfrog Man in it and it's got the walrus, a lot of Beatles references, uh, Beast is zany. Basically, this Leapfrog guy, I guess he's like a Spider-Man villain, but he wants to join the Defenders, so I guess he's not a full-on villain. He's not this... the Frogman from the Animan, is he? No, no, this is a cop. He, he stole this costume from his dad, so I guess his dad is maybe the villain. Maybe his dad is the frog animan. Well, again, it's a costume. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> All uh, right. There's Candy. Meanwhile, Candy Southern is threatened by the bald girl whose name I can't remember, who Warren and uh, Bobby both seem to be in love with. Uh, there's this walrus guy that is kind of a silly subplot about this guy whose grandfather is trying to get famous by creating a supervillain, and he's been basically pumping his uh, son or or nephew th- with all sorts of drugs, and they've done this like a hundred times and they finally got into the W's with their names and he is the walrus and he says stuff like goo goo gajoob. I don't get that reference. I didn't think you would. He also says woo woo a lot. Uh. Um, And he is attempting to defeat the beast in public so that he can get on Johnny Carson. Um, And with the help of leapfrog man, they are able to stop the walrus um, the public demands that the uh, Leapfrog Man join the Defenders, but like Leapfrog Man is terrible. And uh, then his dad comes along and says, I told you not to borrow my old Leapfrog costume and I meant it and drags him away. And he's like, Dad, but come on. And the Defenders are happy that they don't have to let this guy join. And that's pretty much the issue. It was fun. Silly. I was going to say the Defenders seems like kind of a mess. You know, they're, they just wrapped up a story. This was a filler issue. Ah. It happens. Okay. Well, anything else to add to this one? No, no. This was a bit of a long one, but uh, next we'll be totally back to normal. Totally back to normal. So, until that time, my name is Jeremy. My name is Adam. Normal Adam. And the danger room is closed. <laughs>